Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And as I mentioned, we already looked at replace, replacing worry with worship through your prayers. Uh, worry needs to be replaced. It needs to be practiced through prayer because of who God is. And then we're going to continue on in Philippians chapter 4. You know, and as humans, we may not always readily admit it, but we, it, it is very obvious and it's something we can't deny that we, not, we need other people's help. We can't do life alone. And there's a lot of different ways that that's obvious. Uh, our, our car breaks down and we have to, many of us, me included, maybe not you, but I have to take my car to a mechanic. I would not do a, a whole lot of good looking, you know, I could lift up the hood and look under there, but that's about where it would stop. So I need other people to, to help with different things. Remember, as I played a football in high school, a very familiar site on, on all home games is where we would run out onto the field, there was an ambulance parked by the field. And on one hand, you know, that was, that was not really comforting to me. I thought, well, goodness, this is a sport that is so violent that, that somebody may need the ambulance this game. I hope it won't be me. And I was usually one of the smaller guys uh, on the team, on either team. But on the other hand, it was comforting in the sense that, okay, well, if I do get injured, at least they're right here. I mean, they, we don't have to call and wait. The ambulance is here waiting. The EMTs are ready and uh, can rush anybody off the field to the hospital. And that never happened to me, thankfully. Um, but he was, they were ready. The next slide will show, maybe you've seen some of the, in the Olympics, the long-range uh, swimming, uh, swim meets. There are people that follow in boats. So you've got the swimmers and they do the marathon swims. It's not the 26 miles like a, a run marathon, but it is a, a long, uh, open, uh, open water swim. And you have boats that are taking pictures, but also boats are there to help a swimmer in distress. And they're very ready. They're very present to help with anything that's needed. Another sporting event, the next slide, will show the Tour de France. I don't know a whole lot about Tour de France. I didn't. I learned a little bit more uh, this week in studying for that. But it's 198 cyclists uh, in 22 teams of nine people in each team. I, I didn't even know that. I thought it was individuals that uh, that competed. But it's 22 teams, nine people in each team. And over the course of 21 days, normally in July, uh, they are, are mainly in France. Sometimes they dip into other European countries as they compete. But one of the, the phenomenal things to me is there are two convertibles. There are many, many support cars. There's four ambulances that are uh, sp uh, spread out throughout the course. But there are two convertibles that follow the cyclist every inch of the course during those 21 days. And the two convertibles have doctors. Now, you can't see it because this is a still picture, but they're going about 25 miles an hour. And these doctors will lean over and they'll help with injuries or pain. They'll give pain medicine. Uh, I watched a little video clip last night. I believe it was uh, last year's Tour de France. A guy had broken his shoulder, so the, uh, he had fallen earlier and he caught up with the car. He was hanging on the car with a broken shoulder and the doctor was pulling the shirt back at 25 miles an hour. I wouldn't want to be the doctor and I wouldn't want to be the cyclist in that you know, scenario. But one cool thing about that is they're ready. They're, they're, they're capable of doing minor things, but they're also capable of helping with some more serious injuries right on the spot during those 21 days. And it's coming up here in July, uh, the next Tour de France. 
But even the doctors in those two convertibles, even the ambulance on that football field, even those that stand, you know, sit in the boats and follow the swimmers during the Olympics, all of those have a very limited capability in the broad spectrum of how much help they can offer. But in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, we see that we should practice worship through prayer, not just because who God is, but because of what God has promised. Look with me in Philippians chapter 4, in the latter part of verse 5. It says, the Lord is at hand. And notice there's not a period there. Uh, There's a semicolon, and it continues on in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made, made known to God. I mentioned last week, thankfully we don't get any bounced emails from God. We don't get any automatic replies. Hey, I'll be out of the office for the next two weeks. Uh, it's frustrating sometimes if I call and I try to leave somebody a voicemail that says, this voicemail box is full. It's like, ugh. That never happens with God. He's always ready. He's always present in the time of trouble. We don't ever get a letter returned that says no forwarding address. He's ever ready to hear our prayers. When I was in seventh grade, our family took a few days. We went to Jacksonville Beach, um, Florida. And I think the main reason was we had some free lodging at a missionary apartment uh, in Jacksonville. So we spent a few days there and uh, went to the beach. And Jonathan and I were out. Some of you have heard part of the story, but Jonathan were out in the water and having a great time. We were pretty good swimmers. He was in uh, 12th grade, I believe, a senior in high school. I was in 7th grade, but both in pretty good shape. And we were swimming, and then all of a sudden, riptide began to take us pretty deep out in the ocean. And we started to try to swim back. I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, you're supposed to swim diagonal, I guess, in that occasion. I didn't know that, and Jonathan didn't know it either. It's his fault. He's a senior. He should have known. I was a younger brother. So we were swimming directly back, trying to get to the beach, and we couldn't. And after a while, Jonathan says, David, do you realize we're not getting anywhere? I'm like, no, we're, we're, we're fine. We're fine. Let's keep swimming. So we're swimming, swimming. And then we just got completely worn out. And a little farther away, there were some surfers are out with some, with some surfboards. And we were exhausted. And we yelled out and says, can we use your surfboards? And at first, they're like, no, no, no. We're, we were using the surfboards. They said, and then I said, we were extremely tired. We, we got caught in a riptide and we can't really swim much longer. About that time, dad's at the beach and he notices we're in distress. He throws off his watch. He probably, I don't know if he had shoes on, throws his shoes off. And like a hero dad would, jumps in, right, and swims out to us. And during that time, we convinced, you know, one of the surf guys to, to do a surfboard over to us. But then once dad gets out, he gets super tired. And I remember to this day, I can see it in my mind. Dad is, begins to kind of bob, and, he, and he's like, help. <laughs> like, okay, here, Dad, here's the surfboard. But I'm, I'm thankful that I don't think, I really don't believe that if those surfers had not been where they were at that particular time, I'm not sure, I don't think all three of us would have made it back for sure. And I may not be here today, but thankfully they were. They were present. But even beyond that, God is always present. The Lord is at hand. And he's promised that. That's why that we don't have to be anxious. That's why that we can go to him every time in prayer. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers, 
in every respect. It's talking about Jesus Christ. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when he tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He has faced temptations like you and I have. And we may think, oh no, this is unique to me. Well, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation that's taken you, but that which is common to man. And then it says, but God is faithful. Will you repeat that phrase with me? Here we go. But God is faithful. One more time. But God is faithful who will with the temptation also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. Jesus Christ is that type of high priest for us. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so we may receive mercy and find grace to help him, to help us in time of need. And thankfully we don't have to go far because the Lord is at hand, the promise says. So we can go directly to him and say, yes, Lord, I need your help. Whether it's in this spiritual temptation, dark hour, or a physical obstacle that I'm facing, or a relationship problem, God is ready to help. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3, we see a psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. This has been an encouraging passage to me in many different occasions through my life. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Now, follow along. Notice what comes after. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. I'm just curious, anybody experienced, you've been somewhere where an earthquake happened. You have experienced an earthquake. Logan, Raisa, Peter. Is that something you hope to happen often? I would imagine not. I've never experienced that and I, I would not want to. Where the earth begins to tremble and things begin to fall and, and you wonder how serious Will this be? Well, the psalmist says, Therefore, we will not fear that the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Do you know how terrifying that would be to see that happen? Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then the psalmist says, Selah. Amen. Or so be it. Be still, verses 10 and 11, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. So knowing that God has promised his presence, not just because we know who he is, but all of who he is, is with us, is nearby, is ready to help in a time of need. That should motivate us then to replace worry with, with worship in our prayers. But beyond that, he promises his peace in Philippians 4 and verse 7. And God's peace is foundational. We see at the very beginning of verse 7, it says, Philippians 4 7, and the peace of God. And the peace of God. 
And I mentioned last week how God has given us some kind of common grace gifts that, that all men have access to. And some of those I, I shared last week, how I enjoy being outside and how Kim enjoys crossword puzzles and reading a novel and uh, Jessica loves baking. And there, there are different things for different people. I met a pastor a few years ago who, as we were talking, uh, he said, yeah, he said, this may sound strange, but for my exercise and to kind of, you know, just... Uh, get rid of some stress, I throw boomerangs. Wow, okay. Uh, I've never met anybody else that does that for their hobby. Uh, I mean, boomeranger. Are you a boomeranger? I mean, what do you, I don't know. Breathing exercises might, might help. Drinking some hot tea. I mean, Kim enjoys hot tea. I, I think Josh enjoys hot tea as well. Some of those things are, are helpful, but only for a time. So we see that God's peace is foundational and the peace of God. God's peace is immeasurable. The same verse says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Just a few days ago, I, worked, I Googled how to have a peaceful life. I was just curious. What, what's the advice that Google's gonna give me? Well, one of the first posts that came, came up uh, came from... The OuterBanksVacations.com site. There was a post from Seaside Vacations, and they went through a list of different things like, you know, live in the moment. And, but then one of their, you know, really deep uh, advice of how to live a peaceful life, and you probably would never guess this, but it was this, book a beach vacation with us. <laughs> oh, okay. It's kind of self-serving. You want a peaceful life? Book a beach vacation with us. Live in the moment. Yeah, don't worry about what you have to pay later, you know, a month down the road when the credit card bill comes in. But that's, you know, that Google, that was the advice. Another post from lifehack.org that had 30 small habits to live a peaceful life. And understand my spirit. This may help you. It wouldn't help me. But one of the things is buy an adult coloring book. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that's helpful for you. It wouldn't be for me. It would be more stressful. Am I staying in the lines? Am I using the right colors? You know, that's just not, it wouldn't help me a whole lot. But that was one of the, the advice. There's another article on shinesheets.com, seven ways to live a really peaceful life. But you know, in, in John 14, 27, Jesus says, I can give you a peace that the world doesn't offer. Specifically, it says, says this. And he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I'm not offering you just some tidbits. I'm not offering you some helpful things that may help for, for a temporary part of time, but my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, in the context, Jesus made this promise to the disciples just as they were about to face some of the most intense spiritual trials of their life. Peter had said, hey, I'm ready to give my life for you. And Jesus says, actually, you're not. You're going to deny me three times. But he's, he's challenging them and encouraging them. I can give you a peace that the world doesn't have to offer. I can give you my peace. If you fast forward through the events and the trial and the crucifixion of Christ, and then notice what happens on the evening of the day of the resurrection of Christ in John 20, verses 19 and 20. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, which we're going to celebrate symbolically here in two weeks, 
on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were. Why were the doors locked, as the verse says? For fear. Oh my goodness, they're with God the Son for three years, seeing miracles and seeing Christ even say, peace be still, and the waves you know, obey, and all these things, but yet... At this moment, and I probably would have been in that room as well with the door locked and the blinds shut and, you know, gun in hand. Did they have Glocks back then? I, you know, probably not. But so all these things, and it says, yes, for fear of the Jews. And then Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And then when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. It made a difference that Jesus was near, Jesus was present, and was showing them, listen, I've conquered death. I have risen again, and peace be with you. This is a different peace, disciples, that I can offer you that nobody else can. Nobody else has this type of peace that I, that I can offer. And you might be seeing in your life some different trials and troubles. You may not be in a locked room like the Jews but in your life, you might be facing something thinking, how can I get out of this? Or what is the end of this going to look like? And Jesus makes the same promise and says, my peace I give to you. Not what the world has to offer, but I can give you and offer you my peace. God's peace is not only foundational, it's not only immeasurable, but we also see in Philippians 4, 7, God's peace is practical. It's practical. These aren't just you know, theological luxuries that we can think about and, and imagine, but it is a practical peace. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In several of the gospel accounts, three of the gospels give the account of Jesus who showed the power of his peace during a raging storm. Let's look at Mark's account. Mark chapter 4, and verses 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Now, was it necessary to, for Christ to have waited that long? Like for water to already be coming in the boat? I mean, could he have prevented that from even happening? He could have. Just like he could have prevented Lazarus from dying when he did, but he had a purpose in waiting. And as the waves were coming into the boat, it says, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing I've said this before, but I hope there's replay options in heaven. I'd like to see some of these scenes and just kind of watch Jesus respond and, and see how some of the disciples and maybe even replay some of the things that we've said and done and thought in our life and kind of look, be able to look back and go, that was silly that I even thought that. That was silly, the question that I asked God. But they asked him, he said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace. Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? 
Now, I don't think, there's a, I don't think it's a, a mistake that, the, con, that the, the sequence is not only do we have this account, but then shortly after that, we see that Jesus showed the power of his peace in the life of a raging man. So he does it in a, in a raging storm, and the winds and the waves obey him. And then he says, you know, don't you see? I mean, you're, you're of little faith. But then in the sequence, we see also the account of Jesus showing his power in the life of a raging man. Luke 8, 26-39, we won't read all the verses, but to, to recap... One of the Gospels actually reveals there were two men demon-possessed. But in one account, it gives more details about one man, and this man lived uh, naked among the tombs. One of the Gospel accounts said that he was so fierce that people wouldn't even go that way because he was just totally out of control. And he was bound often by, by ropes and things, and, but he, out of the, the, the power of, the supernatural power through Satan and the demons, he would break forth from that. He was a raging man. But then as Jesus shows his power and the demons have to ask Jesus' permission of where they're to be sent, and Jesus once again shows that he is greater than that which is in the world at this point, Satan and his demons. And after all that happened, the man we see in the account begins to beg, Jesus, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, I don't want you to come with me. I want you to go back to your home and to your city, and I want you to set, tell them all that God has done for you. So Jesus and the disciples that were with him and this raging man saw, okay, it's not just the storm, it's not just the wind and the waves, but it's the storms of man and of men and women that Jesus can also offer his peace. That's why 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. One of the songs that we've sung here at church, you may remember some of the lyrics, but it's entitled, Who Am I? And the question comes from one of the Psalms, but listen to the lyrics. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Who am I that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love and watch me rise again? Who am I that the voice that calmed the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me? And you may be sitting here this morning and you even may see me sometimes and not have any idea of the storm that's raging within me and I may not have any idea of the storm that's raging within you, but you know who does? God does. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that when sometimes in cultural pressure or even sometimes spiritual you know, peer pressure, we think, wow, I've got, to, I've got to turn it on again. I've got to put the smile. I've got to put on the God is good and God is good all the time. Amen. And that's true. But sometimes within us, there is a storm that's raging. And sometimes we wonder, does anybody else know? Yes. God does. And the same Jesus who stood there, who was asleep for a while, and then stood up and said, peace, be still. And the disciples were amazed and said, even the winds and the, and the, and the waves obey him. But as if that were not enough, Jesus then goes to a raging man possessed by demons. And the demons have to ask Jesus, you know, where can we go? And, and Jesus shows them that he's in control. 
And then at the end, that man is gloriously saved and then goes back to his home and goes back to the cities where he was from. He says, this is what God has done for me. And God can do the same for you. So these are all reasons that we should replace worry with worship through prayer. The next verse kind of dovetails with this in verse 8, Philippians 4, 8. We also need to replace worry with worship through your thoughts. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, and then at the end of the verse, think about these things. So finally, brothers, whatever is true, think about these things. Now, it's important to remember, especially of those of us who are believers, who are followers of Christ, our very salvation is built on truth. Now, notice it wasn't a mistake. I do make a lot of grammar mistakes, but this particular one was not. In letter A, I put truth with a capital T. You know why? Because Jesus is truth. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So our salvation is built on truth. It's not built on the financial success of a, a, just a human founder of Christianity. Our salvation is not built on the charisma of a human leader in the past that we have to keep looking back to and think, you know, this famous man or this famous woman said these quotes and we're still trying to follow all of his teachings today. No, it's built on the truth, Jesus Christ. Our salvation is not built on an emotional experience that we had and we're trying to replicate and, and kind of keep going to keep us motivated. No, it's built on the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Acts 17, 10 through 12, we see a, a praise for those in the area of Berea. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now, this is, sometimes we, we think of the Bereans as like seasoned believers, you know, who have their, their study Bibles, and they've got their journals, and they're, they're listening, and they're examining. In this context... They're, they're just hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they have the Old Testament scriptures. So they are examining and seeing, okay, this is what we're hearing. Does this match up with the Old Testament scriptures that we have? And we see the result. It says, many of them therefore believed. Because as they examined, as they took the Old Testament scriptures and, and examined to see, okay, what we're hearing, does this match up? It says, yes, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Our very salvation is built on truth, capital T, Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, today, the more common question is not, not is what is truth, but what works for me? What's going to make me happy? That's the more common question today. And so as believers, we need to continue to point people and, and challenge them, listen, what might work for you for a while and what might you, you know, make you happy or you think makes you happy for a while will, will sell you short every single time. We hear in modern movies and music and all over the secular culture, follow your heart. Believe in yourself. Do you know where that's going to get us? 
Jeremiah 17, 9 made it pretty clear that our heart is desperately what? Wicked. And only because of the transforming power of Jesus Christ, then because of Jesus in me and the Holy Spirit, can I really experience a transformation of the gospel. It's not because I'm following David Huffman's heart. God, God help me if I just follow my own desires and my, my, my fleshly thinking. Jeremiah says, that is not the path. Your heart is desperately wicked. But as we are in culture, God, Jesus sent us into the world for sure. And we hear this message, follow your heart, believe in yourself. You can do anything. Baloney. There's a, there's a popular song out that says, I am unstoppable. I'm unstoppable. Really? I can think of a lot of people just in the last few months that had no idea, that, but something came across their path. And just like that, they knew right away, yep. I'm stoppable. I'm stoppable. But the peace of God. So replace worry with worship through your thoughts. Our salvation is built on truth. And then it says also our sanctification grows by truth. Our sanctification, the, the process of growing in Christ. It's not by mistake that we as new, you know, those who are new believers are termed or called often uh, babes in Christ. And there's the illustration of, of milk instead of the meat. And if you're a new Christian, there's nothing to be embarrassed about that. If you are an older Christian or if you've been in the faith longer and you're still just, you know, on the bottle, that's a problem. But if you are indeed a babe in Christ, then that's beautiful, it's awesome to see you learning the basic things and watching the Holy Spirit work in your life. And those of us who maybe have had more time and have some more spiritual maturity should rejoice in these baby steps that new converts are taking. But if you've been in the faith for a long time, don't be satisfied with milk. But grow, and we grow by truth. We don't grow primarily by emotional experiences. God gave us the emotions so on the other extreme, I don't think we should just be stoic, you know, believers and don't smile and everything's serious. No, God gave us emotions. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to smile. It's okay to hug. It's okay to clap. It's okay to, to, to express. We're excited about what God does, not only here in church, but in your individual life. I hope that the things of the Lord excite you. Just as much and hopefully more than your favorite hobby or your favorite team or your favorite dish. But all of our growth should be founded upon truth. John 17, verses 17 through 19 says, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. Notice this, that they also may be sanctified, set apart in truth. That's us. We are set apart. We are a different people. And that's okay. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your what? Minds. God does not want us to check our brains at the door. Thankfully, Christianity is, is deep enough and authentic enough that we can use our heads, and God says, I want you to love me with not just with your heart, not just with your emotions, but with all your mind. Search for truth. Search it out. Ask the questions. 
It gives me great satisfaction with anybody that's asking questions, just like on Friday night at ISF. We were sitting at a table, and, and there was a student just firing away questions. He's not a believer, and he said that. He said, I'm not a believer, but I believe you are a pastor. I'm like, yeah, I, I think I am. <laughs> but he, he said, you know, he's firing away questions. But it gives me great satisfaction to be able to look somebody in the eye and say with great confidence, don't be afraid to ask questions. The Bible is sufficient enough that it can answer every single question you have. That's the type of truth that we depend on, and that's why we can love God with all our mind. Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So what's, what does this look like? What is the overall journey? There's kind of a, some big picture things here. Look at Proverbs chapter 4, and verse 23. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Mark 7, 20 through 23, so fast forward to the New Testament, and Jesus says in a little bit more specific way, he says, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, so our, our thoughts, our motives, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So there is a, there's a pattern, there's a sequence. Look with me on the next, next slide. So our thoughts, as what Jesus said, move to our actions. As we do those things long enough, then those become habits. Our habits then form the very character, and then our character de de determines what is our reputation. But it starts with the thoughts that nobody else can see. In fact, for a while, I could fool you. I could make it look like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in, but inwardly, I may be exactly where Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 7, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, and then the whole list. We need to be careful and, and say, God, help me to grow in truth. Lord, help me to, to follow this process. So what are the important steps? Next point there, the important steps, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. It's, I, I really did not mean this as a, as a pun, but uh, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? You, you've heard that. And so in the book of Romans, we see Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your what? Spiritual worship. This isn't just a Sunday morning praise time. This isn't just when you turn on K-Love or have your favorite songs as you're going to and from work or maybe in your house. But this involves so much more. This is your spiritual worship. Then it goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. That by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Yes, Rome wasn't built in a day, and your character isn't either. And so it's going to be step by step. It's going to be the little decisions that you make, maybe when nobody else is watching, and those thoughts first, and then your actions that form your character, and then your character forms step by step. And in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, it says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. 
and to put on the new self created after likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So let's continue on. Truth then is the foundation. And then in Philippians 4.8, we begin to see some other steps, much like the fruit of the Spirit. Love is mentioned first, and then the rest seem to kind of flow out of the fruit of the Spirit of love. Truth is our foundation, and then the rest seem to flow out of that. Let's look. It says, think on whatever is honorable, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, and at the end of the verse, we see the command again. Think about these things. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 2 use this word honorable to describe uh, the, the, the lifestyle of a deacon and a deacon wife. Titus 2 uses the same word to describe someone who is an elder, who is mature in the faith. To think about those things that are honorable. Next in Philippians 4.8, we see to think on whatever is just. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable. And then it says whatever is just. Think about these things. So just in the sense of right or righteous. There, there is a task that I don't particularly enjoy, but I've had to do a number of times with all the times we've moved in missions through the years, is hanging pictures in a home. Especially in Brazil where you have to get a, a hammer drill and drill through the concrete, and it's just a little more of a you know, a task. You, you really have to think, do I really want the picture there? And I'll ask him, do you really want it there? Because I don't want to have to move it. But more times than, than I would like to admit, I've drilled the hole, you know, in, in the wrong place, or this hole's been a little bit down, you know, than this. And so the idea, think with me, is you've got one picture and you're trying to hang another picture. Well, you need a level. And you're going to have to measure, you have to make sure that this picture is going to line up. It's going to align with the other. It's going to be, it's going to be just. It's going to be right. And so the challenge is, as we see God's character, as we learn more about him, even as Romans says, as you test, as you're being renewed in your mind, and as you test and as you discern what is God's will and what pleases him and what's honorable to him, then our thoughts and our actions should line up with God. It should line up with what the Bible teaches us to think about that which is just or right or righteous. Then he goes on in Philippians 4, 8, think on whatever is pure. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, and then jump ahead, whatever is pure, think about these things. Christ, the living water, is pure. Christ, who said himself, he's the living water, he is pure. And Christians and non-Christians alike uh, 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 appreciate pure water, right? I, I don't want just partially clean water. I don't want just a partially clean glass at a restaurant. I had a friend in high school who worked at Po Folks. Anybody remember when Po are there still Po Folks? Okay, so when Poe Folk's restaurant was around, he worked there at Warner Robins, and he told me one day, he says, David, he says, I will never drink out of a glass again without a straw. And his name was Bubba. I said, Bubba, isn't that a fitting name to work at Poe Folk's, Bubba? I said, Bubba, why, don't, why won't you drink out of a glass? He said, because too many glasses come out of the commercial dishwasher with lipstick residue still on the rim. I will not drink out of a glass at a restaurant without a straw. You know, and since then, I usually don't either. I'll kind of wait. Hey, do you have a straw? Because I wonder, you know, is there, any, is there any residue still? And we appreciate clean water. 
In the United States alone, last year, over $6 billion were spent in the water purifier market. Over $6 billion. Because we appreciate pure water. John chapter 4, a few weeks ago, Chris Anderson walked us through that passage in the Samaritan woman. And Jesus presented and encouraged and invited the Samaritan woman, listen, come and drink, not a water that you're going to be thirsty here in a couple hours, but drink of the living, eternal water that only I can offer you. And Christ is the only one who could offer that, that pure, spiritual, eternal water. He's the only one. So Christ is, the living water is pure. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. So in John 4, John talks about the Samaritan woman and Jesus being the pure water. Now go ahead a little bit to 1 John chapter 3. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Notice this last verse. And everyone who thus hopes in him, basically everyone who says, yes, I believe in that hope, I claim that hope, I claim that promise, and everyone who thus hopes in him does what? Purifies himself as he, as Christ, is pure. So Christ is the perfect example of purity. So then Christ's followers, you and me, we should seek that type of purity as well. During one of our furloughs, uh, 2008, end of 2008, as the housing crisis happened, uh, everything, you know, a lot of homes were, went into foreclosure. And we were about to come back. We needed a place to stay. And so it I'm not even sure how it came about, but it was, we began to contemplate, should we try to buy a house in the States? We didn't have any home in the States, and so uh, Kim's dad helped us with going to the auction, and we had to you know, send by FedEx our, our power of attorney so that he could act on our behalf at the auction. Long story short, we, we got the house, and they were a tremendous help in remodeling the house and making it a nice place for us to, to live while we were back home for, or back in Georgia for a year. But there was one huge problem with that house. It was on a low-lying lot. So whenever it rained, the yard would flood, which would also flood the septic system, which would then back up sewage into our bathtubs. Exactly. That's exactly what I thought. Yuck. Ugh. I don't want sewage in my bathtub. And I don't think anybody does. So we began to, to you know, look, okay, what are the solutions? And one of the plumbers that came out says, well, you need a French drain. You're going to have to put a French drain around your septic system so as the rainwater and that rain table comes, it'll come into the septic drain. The drain will lead it to a, a water basin that we're going to put down on the ground. And then we'll put a pump in there. And we're going to pump that excess rainwater up to the front of the street so it goes in the ditch and goes away, away from your property. I'm like, okay, how much? Well, um, for us to do all of that for you, sir, will be, I'm like, wow, yeah, that's a lot of money. But you know what? It was worth it because I didn't want sewage coming up in my bathtub. And it worked. So we paid significant amount of money to get all of that done and the, and the, and the trench dug and the French drain put in and the water basin. And it gave me great satisfaction to see that water pumped out to the front. Sometimes I just go and watch I'm like, yes, 
This is good. This is working. We pay all that money, but I want to ask you, how, how often sometimes do we pay money to bring spiritual sewage into our home? We don't want physical sewage, and we're going to pay great money to keep it out, but sometimes we'll pay good money and cable service and internet and the music that we stream and all this stuff, and we're like paying money and say, yes, bring the sewage in. Corrupt my mind. Help me to think more in the worldly philosophy that's out there. And we see in this, this passage, think on that which is pure. Make this a priority. This, I'm not trying to be legalistic. This is just a passage in Scripture that Christ is pure and Christ's followers, we should seek purity as well. It's sad to me. I, I, I've, there's a very popular song out that uh, I'm in love with the shape of you is the title of the song. I'm in love with the shape of you. You know, if any of my daughter's boyfriends, if I ever hear any of them say that, they will not be my daughter's boyfriends any longer if I can help it. I'm in love with the shape of your daughter. Oh, really? You get out of here. I don't want anybody to be in love with the shape of my daughters. I want them to be in love with my daughter, with who they are. Be yet the world is saying, yeah, just be in love with the shape of somebody. That is impure. Unfortunately, there's so much that has, we've allowed into our minds and we even pay good money for this stuff to come into our homes and to stream on our devices. And I, I want to beg you, be careful. I've been in the ministry long enough to see, to see many casualties of this impure living. And at first it seems like, no, this is kind of fun and I, 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 can, I can handle this and I can stop at any moment. Don't fool yourself. And I know that as I have given counsel that I'm capable of any of those sins as well. And God help me as a Christ follower to pursue this same type of purity that Christ exemplifies himself. And we say, think on whatever is lovely, Philippians 4.8. Again, love is mentioned as the first fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So this is a, a reminder that we need to to. to Practice that. 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love. It gives us a good description of what godly love looks like. Think about those types of things. John simply states in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. So think about those things that would reflect God who is love. And then lastly, before he kind of gives a summary at the very end, one more step. He says, think about whatever is commendable. Think about whatever is commendable. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is commendable, think about these things. You know, similar to the rest of our life, we like to strive for excellence. And Paul is, is bringing a conclusion here that, yes, strive for excellence in everything that you think. From before I can remember, I'm sure there were things that were used to, to help motivate me to do right things. Because Why do I know this? Because we did it with our kids. We were trying to help them to be potty trained. We would give stickers if they used the potty and didn't, you know, soil their diaper. So we'd give little stickers. We would give candy. When I, I sucked these two fingers growing up. And my dad and mom promised, I'll show you a little bit of my age, but my dad and mom promised, we will give you a tape recorder if you quit sucking your two fingers. Wow. 
That really motivated me. And it even had a, a record button that I could like record my voice back. That was amazing. So it helped motivate me that. And from that, it went to trophies and medals and uh, businesses use bonuses and a, and, a, and a restaurant, you know, gift card. All these things to promote us and to help us to strive for excellence. But we have so much better than that. We have God's very presence that he's promised. We have his very peace that he offers that surpasses all understanding. So I want to encourage you to replace worry with worship through your prayers and through your thoughts. When you're tempted to think otherwise, remind, you, remind yourself that God has called you to think on those things that are true, that are excellent, and worthy of praise. And that's how Paul finishes. Finally, brothers, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things.